Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Bassini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Adam Spinella is in the building. We're going to dive deep into free agency. Everything that has happened over the course of the first three hours and 30 minutes of NBA free agency is officially, officially the offseason. We have crazy movement across the league right now. Adam, what is your take on all of the money we have seen thrown around so far? My take is maybe the Players Association didn't do a terrible job on the CBA. I don't know. Maybe that's a thing. Yeah, that tends to be one of the first takeaways too. Like I'm having a lot of conversations with buddies about these numbers and and they're always, you know, wanting to see guys stay at, at different locations or not want to see as much player movement for continuity's sake. Like I'm always in favor of guys getting the back, first and foremost. Always love to see players getting rewarded for the hard work that they continue to put in. But a lot of interesting movement, at least in the way it pertains to the rest of the dominoes that are going to fall through the rest of the summer. I think that's absolutely right. I'm super excited to see how all of this plays out over the course of the next few days. But first, we've got like 40 deals that have happened. That's what you counted, right, Adam? I think I I had up to 36 or 37 players who have signed or agreed to sign deals here over the last three to four hours, which is a lot. So let's start with Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet! is going to the Houston Rockets, a long-reported deal that seemingly was in the works here, uh, you know, tampering excluded, for a couple of, I don't know, a week, two weeks? That's when the first rumors started to come out about this, right, Adam? Something like that, yeah. He signs a three-year, $130 million deal. The original idea of this was going to be that it would be a two-year deal. But instead, it looks like it's going to be 3-1-30. That's an important note for the Raptors in this case, because the Raptors seemingly would be left holding the bag here without their point guard that has been on their team for, I don't know, seven years now, probably with Fred, right? I remember talking to Fred. I went to Las Vegas to do a uh, one of their pro days. He was signed, with, I think, with Andy Miller at the time, and I did the ASM pro day. And I went and talked to Fred and I was super high on Fred. I think I had him as like a top 35, top 40 player in that class. And we talked about him being like an underdog and how the fact that he'd won, you know, a hundred games at Wichita State, probably more than that. And 120 probably. And he was still being discounted for some reason. You know, obviously size was a big part of it. He goes undrafted. I think I saw a stat from somebody in the Toronto media. I apologize for not knowing exactly who this was, but in his first season, Fred Van Vliet made $540,000 for the entire season. And this season, Fred Van Vliet will make $525,000 per game uh, for the Houston Rockets. So that's awesome. Shout out Fred Van Vliet. 
I couldn't be happier for that guy. You talk to anybody around the league about him. He's who he is. He's who he has always been from day one. Uh, doesn't cut people out. Doesn't have a ton of bad people around him. Just a good dude that deserves getting paid. So shout out to Fred Van Vliet. The Houston Rockets are an interesting team here. I love this deal for them. I talked about it a little bit with Mark Schindler yesterday. Uh, I'll give you the floor, though, because I've kind of given a little spiel here. Uh, what is your take on Fred Van Vliet? So I really like Fred as a basketball player because of the versatility he has as a shot maker to do things with the ball in his hands, as well as to play a little bit off ball and knock down some catch and shoot looks. And that's the right type of point guard or veteran in the backcourt that the Houston Rockets probably need right now. Somebody who, yes, can create his own, stabilize the offense, create with whatever unit is going to be on the floor and help organize everybody else. But long-term, if, if you're looking to play through Amen Thompson or Jalen Green and continuing to get him on ball reps, having a competent guard who can bail him out in some situations while also being a really strong floor spacer is incredibly important. I know numbers are always staggering when we enter free agency, particularly when we're looking at an expected cap spike over the next several years, that the, the raw financial numbers of deals can be – jaw-dropping. But for Fred Van Vliet here, this is a veteran who brings out the best in mentors and is the right person to be around the young guards that they have in Houston, as well as kind of a necessary spending situation for the Rockets with how much room they have between where their current salary is and the floor. So I have no issue with them going out and giving a max type of deal to a guy like Fred Van Vliet who's only going to bring positive things in the locker room as well as on the court. So three reasons why I am an enormous fan of this deal across the board for Houston. First, exactly what you just said, the leadership aspect of it, bringing in a stable veteran presence to an organization, particularly a backcourt that has not really had that recently is essential. The level to which that he is going to help Jalen green uh, Amon Thompson, guys like that, just be uh, understand more what it takes to win a title, which Fred Van Vliet has done. Understand more what it takes to get the absolute most out of your incredible gifts. Nobody's ever going to confuse Fred Van Vliet from a gifts and tools perspective with Amon Thompson and Jalen Green. But Fred Van Vliet has gotten the absolute most out of what he has. And I think having him around those two guys particularly is invaluable. The second piece of it, I love the fact that they have brought in somebody who is exceptional defensively for a guard, particularly fighting around screens. This is something that over the course of the last couple of years under Steven Silas, the Rockets guards have just been absolutely fucking atrocious at. Like there's just not another way to put it. They have been terrible. They've let their bigs out to dry. Like, frankly, I'm pretty sure Alper and Shangun is not a good defender, and I'm pretty sure he's, like, quite bad. But I actually don't know the answer to that right now because I think he gets so hung out to dry by guys like Jalen Green fighting over these screens all the time that it's just really, really difficult to tell. Fred Van Vliet is going to bring not just that ability – to consistently get over the top of screens, consistently disrupt at the point of attack. But he's also going to be able to hopefully teach these guys, these younger players, how to do it in order to create and cultivate a winning environment. 
Number three, Fred Van Vliet is a good shooter. I know that the numbers indicate over the last year that he was not a particularly good shooter. If you look at his track record, Fred has been able to knock down shots. There are two things he does exceptionally well. They are knockdown shots and they are consistently making good decisions. These are the things the Rockets desperately need every single time they take the court. Additionally, you look at the kinds of shots that Fred struggled with last year. Fred generally in the beginning of the season struggled with his pull up jumper. It came around by the end of the year. He was at like 34% from three. By the end of the year, that's where he was. Throughout the year, though, he was like a consistent maker of open catch-and-shoot threes. On 171 attempts on unguarded catch-and-shoot threes, according to Synergy, he made 44% of those shots. That is a perfect fit next to Amen Thompson, Jalen Green. He can play with both of those guys because of that ability to play on and off ball. He's certainly going to get a lot of reps playing on the ball. No question there. But you're not going to steal too many reps, in my opinion, from Amen Thompson and Jalen Green because there are just a lot of those reps to go around on an NBA team. So across the board, in terms of fit, is it an overpay? I don't know. Like, probably on some level. Like, I don't know if, if like, in a vacuum, I want to pay Fred Van Vliet 130 for the next X number of years. Here's the other thing, though. Like, I, I will say this. You look at the advanced metrics last year. Fred Van Vliet was really quite good. Like, he averaged, I think, 11.4 wins, according to dunks3s.com in their EPM model. That's like about 40 million a year or so if you go off of what a win costs in the NBA today. It's like pretty close. Yeah, this is probably an overpay by year three, but like, I don't really care. I think this is a good deal. I think this is an awesome deal for Houston. And I think it brings them exactly what they need moving forward. Yep. And because they have so much space right now, like obviously this isn't anything reported. It's just potential that they could do this. They could actually descend his his contract and his salary here in a way that yep. allows it to, to not look as bad in a couple of years, give them some optionality down the line, maintain a little bit more cap flexibility for when they want to retain some of the guys that are on their rookie scale deals right now. A uh, really big fan of Van Vliet in Houston for all of the reasons that you said. Yeah, no, it's just a home run. Let's go to Toronto now. Toronto loses Van Vliet. They replace him quickly with Dennis Schroeder. I imagine Schroeder will be their starting point guard. Enormous downgrade, in my opinion. Now, here's the real question. Are they able to negotiate a sign-and-trade with Toronto now moving forward in order to get like a $22 million trade exception that could at least keep that slot open for them moving forward as they operate as an over-the-cap team with OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, and as we'll talk about momentarily, Jakob Pertl. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't hadn't crossed my mind the cap mechanics of it. That's why you're infinitely better at this stuff than I am. Uh, but I, I think you know Van Vliet's contract, certainly one that Toronto financially wasn't going to go out there and try to match that that's a lot of money to give up for Van Fleet. So if if this is the 
the bargain bin that you're shopping in to get a replacement for a couple of years. I think Schroeder is a really smart fit, particularly because he has the flexibility to play in a lot of different roles offensively, whether it's starting, coming off the bench, more on ball, a little bit off ball. He's proven he can do a lot of those different things over the last several years. Uh, I, I kind of like the fit here in Toronto. Yeah, I think it was really good. Uh, I, I think it just makes enough sense for them to go out and get just like a replacement like they had to do something and that's really your only move i guess like you can't really clear the space for austin reeves i mean maybe you could i don't know not really you couldn't clear it no so like you had to do what you had to do at the end of the day now the question here is what does Toronto do organizationally now to pivot? Because maybe this is, maybe we'll jump straight from v- Fred Van Vliet into the Jakob Pertle deal. So Jakob Pertle resigns with the Raptors four years, $80 million. I like that deal a lot more if I thought Fred Van Vliet was coming back. I think it makes a lot more sense <laughs> in that circumstance to me. Uh, this is a team now that has Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi essentially for one more year, Gary Trent essentially for one more year still, although we don't know if Trent is going to, you know, extend that contract out long term. They have Chris Boucher for two more years, essentially locked in. They have Scotty Barnes, two more years locked in. They're like very significantly over the cap. There's not really another way to go about it for them. This is like a big bet on Scotty Barnes now being able to play like a significant amount of on-ball reps, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Right? Which maybe it works. Like I, I'm I, I'm not going to get into the Scotty Barnes wars here cuz I, I know better than to do that. But I think it's. I think that's what you're betting on now. You're you're betting on a Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, hopefully, kind of move. The issue that I'll bring up here for Toronto is, I think that over the last couple of years, basically since they've won their title, outside of the Kyle Lowry deal, they have had a tendency to be a bit late on their decisions, and that kind of happens at the deadline. They made a decision to buy instead of sell. They could have moved Fred Van Vliet at the deadline if they wanted to. I think the contract structures, frankly, have not been great. They gave Gary Trent a player option. They gave Ken Birch a player option. They gave, uh, who else? They gave, uh, I think, Boucher three guaranteed years. Like, you can just kind of go up and down the line, and I feel like, their front office has not gotten the most out of certain situations. And I think in large part, it is due to a lateness to react. Uh, this Pirtle deal now is four years, 80 million in a vacuum. I think he's worth that. Like, I think he's a good basketball player that is a starting center in the NBA. And that seems to be the going rate for like league average starting centers. Right. Uh, Nikola Vucevic or like slightly above average league starting centers. Right. You know, Nikola Vucevic signed for 360. Miles Turner got what would that have been? It would have been essentially like 30 million dollars on an extension, 25 to 30 million, because they renegotiated and extended his deal up. He's better than Pirtle, but 
the going rate is 20 million. It's just, you're now pretty locked in unless Siakam leaves and you decide to move him, but it seems like Siakam wants to stay. Where are they going with this is kind of my question, I guess. <laughs> I don't have a great answer for you. Like, again, you can look at all of the individual moves that they've made and say, they make sense. They're, they're strong from an individual decision standpoint, but we still don't know what the direction is, right? Like I think for Houston signing Fred Van Vliet was a, a very shrewd move for Toronto going out and signing Dennis was shrewder. Uh, but we, we still don't have a great feel for how all of these pieces are going to fit long-term because they have so many bigger wings and guys that don't shoot. They haven't necessarily solved the issue of what their closing lineup is going to look like. And that's something that we've been talking about with Scotty Barnes for a while. And keep shaking your head there, Sam. That was as good of a joke as I'm going to have all night. So let me have my moment, right? But there are a lot of options they could still go down. I just have no idea what the actual pathway Masai Ujiri in this front office is trying to steer the team towards is going with. For what it's worth, the comments love you for this. I, I appreciate you. it. Thank I you. appreciate you, Adam. Uh, yeah, it's just like you, you kept Fred basically to lose to DR DeRozan screaming at the foul line like in the playing game, right? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I thought they should have moved him. I thought there were myriad options where they could have moved him, and they chose not to. And, and now you're in a circumstance where – this year is big now <laughs> like this year is really big for them uh somebody asked uh, a little bit ago do you think an og for anthony simon's trade makes sense i think og is just like a lot better than anthony simon's uh every simon's a great scorer like he'd actually really fit this team now without fred i don't know that Without Fred, it makes a lot more sense, I guess, to kind of go down this road. And, you know, maybe this can transition us into the Blazers here because they made a staggering decision earlier. Um, Do you think this makes sense? I think Toronto needs to get a little bit more in return. But, yeah, it it does make sense. Like, I, I keep thinking about the way that they've wanted to build this roster, which is with maybe point Scotty or him and Siakam having a lot of the on-ball reps and then a bunch of length and now maybe a couple specialty shooters and Grady Dick and Gary Trent around them. And I wonder how continuing to collect these score first, like really impactful guards, but ones who kind of throw a wrench in that roster construction it is moving on from Van Vliet, kind of the the signaling from this front office that, they're going to try to really lean a little bit more into that positional versatility or do they just need to find the right players in a way that's going to keep the same roster construction they've had the last two years? Yeah, I think they have to do something different. I do. I think they have to make some adjustments here in terms of what their, what their overall trajectory is and like what, what their plan is. And I think they are like, you look at, the Grady Dick pick, like I think that that really kind of showcased a real change toward where they were going in terms of like their style of selection, right? So maybe they are. Uh, I mean, maybe they are shifting. They're going toward more skill and talent, um, you know, skill and 
feel as opposed to that, but you lose Fred Van Vliet and that like kind of goes toward the antithesis of it. So I don't know. Let's move on. Let's go to the Blazers. Maybe let's move there. We're on to Portland. The Blazers re-signed Jeremy Grant to a five-year, $160 million contract. That's an average annual value of $32 million. I'll be honest, Adam. I have no idea. Just, I don't know where he was getting anything resembling this contract. I, I think Jeremy Grant's a good player. And I think Jeremy Grant, like, is a fairly underrated player in a lot of ways. Like, I thought that he was, you know, pro- for the first half of the season when Portland was actually pretty competitive. I thought he was, like, on the precipice or borderline of all-star conversations. Like, he was averaging, this season, he averaged 20 points, shot 48% from the field, 40% from three, four and a half rebounds, two and a half assists. 81% from the line has gotten a little bit worse defensively than he was early in his career where he was like an impact defender, but he's solid defensively. Like he's not going to give points away at the very least. I will say that in general, like advanced models think he's okay. Like he was worth six wins this year. That's, you know, in the ballpark of let's go with, you know, a, million salary. I think that somebody very easily could have paid Jeremy Grant four years, $115 million like that, that I would have bought that just a little bit more than what Cam Johnson got. I have no idea where five one sixty was. I'm, I'm hoping for Portland's sake that there is a team option on that fifth year. I I would think that there very well might be, I don't know that. That's just like me speculating entirely. Do not like aggregate that or like, you know, this is me completely guessing. I I do not know. Um, But it's a big deal for a guy that is what he turns, I think 30 in March of next season. And then you have four more years on top of it. I mean, I know you had to show, Damian Lillard like a commitment here yeah but like couldn't you have done it with like four 105 110 like that's that's still big money and like it's still money that he still might not like hit in terms of value yeah so we talked about it a little bit off air like for for me the ability to grade this type of deal is really going to come down to the later information that comes out about that fifth year what types of team protections there are in there uh, you know, how much of the salary is guaranteed, how much of it is incentive based, et cetera, et cetera. That's really going to be a, a huge part in swinging just my my overall opinion on this signing. But I've seen this come up a lot of whether it's Jeremy Grant, whether it's maybe Vucevic re-signing with the Bulls or, or even Kyrie in Dallas, which I know we'll touch on a little bit. Like this conversation of who are these teams bidding against? when they offer this much of a a deal and a contract to keep their own player. It doesn't seem like there's the market out there to try to get these type of numbers from other teams. And the only rationale that I can think of is that you are essentially overpaying a little bit right now to prevent that player from even entertaining another offer to lock it in on July 1st, or in some cases, June 30th to make sure that this is done. 
And to me, that is as much of a signal to Damian Lillard that we are going to this as much as it is Portland's desperate understanding of as soon as we made the commitment to go to it with Lillard, there is no way in hell we can even risk losing Jeremy Grant. Even if he's not worth 5160, yeah. he just cannot walk out the door because if he does, if someone else comes in and offers something better, we have no recourse as a franchise. It's it's just an intriguing choice. And, you know, somebody – so here, Kevin says in the comments, reaction you guys are having to this money as well as the ones you just listed off as being overpaid compared to Fred Van Vliet is wild. The thing for me is the money is fine if it's short-term. Like if you're giving out a short-term deal – like a three-year deal or under, it's okay. It's when you start to get into four-years and five-year deals that you really start to limit flexibility and those deals become very hard to move if anything goes wrong with that contract. I get what you're saying in terms of the money. Like, again, like I think Fred's probably not worth $45 million a year, but A, you're the Rockets and you're coming off of a disaster situation, and B it's a three-year deal like, and you never know, like we'll see what comes out. Is there a team option? Is there something else there? We'll find out. But yeah, I just kind of think that at the end of the day, you've got to, you got to account for the amount of time on these deals when accounting for the risk of these things. This is a risky contract for the Blazers. Like if Damian Lillard wakes up at some point in the next, I don't know, eight months, 10 months, and says, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I, please move me to Brooklyn. Please move me to Miami. Please move me to Philadelphia. If he does that in the next, you know, six hours, you know, six yeah. days, who the hell knows? You just really run a substantial risk. You run a significant, significant risk with this contract at that point. Yeah. And, and I think the last thing I'd add to that is option C. Houston just has so much cap space right now that 40 something million doesn't handcuff them and cripple them from an organizational standpoint in the way that 35 does for Portland. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, Kevin brings up, they just dumped John Collins for nothing. A, John Collins is a lot younger than Jeremy Grant. B, John Collins had three years left, I think, on his deal. And C, uh, like, you know, the the Hawks aren't like really the Hawks were just money dumping. They weren't really trying to like, you know, compete in like in the middle of these two rotations where they're trying to build for the future and build for now. Like it's just a different situation. It's totally different situation. Um, Yeah. The grant deal. I mean, look like I think they have to keep building. Like, I think they have to keep trying to find guys like the next move to me is moving Anthony Simons. I think unless you strongly believe that uh, Damian Lillard is there, you know, only for the next, you know, six hours, six days, whatever it is. Uh, if you assume Lillard is going to be there for a little while now, I think you do move Anthony Simons. Uh, and I think he will have value if you decide to do that. It's just that, you have Scoot, you have Shaden Sharp, you have Damian Lillard. Like you have all these guys that are high level scorers right now. And if you're going to go down this road, your best route to finding a really good player is by moving Anthony Simons. Uh, it's probably what I would do. I mean, is the, the thing is that there are quite a few fits for Simons, as we've talked about. Like Toronto, 
it's an interesting fit for them now that Fred Van Vliet is gone. Uh, you can find a number of different avenues for him that really could improve your roster substantially. Curious to see how it all play out in Portland. We've known this is not going to be done by July 1st, like 2nd, 3rd. It's it's going to take some time to bear out whether this roster can really be competitive next year. I get that the numbers are staggering with Jeremy. I just think that once they made a commitment to try to build this with Lillard, they kind of have no choice in this. Like they got to pay to keep him around and that's probably going to look a little bit higher than it should. Yeah. Uh, again, like seriously, congrats, Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant had a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, season this year. He had a great contract year. Uh, I don't, I'm glad he got paid. Like seriously, another guy that was a second round pick. I think he went like 38th, 39th overall. And has worked his way into now a $160 million contract. Kudos to him. Deserves an immense amount of credit. It's just, if I'm Portland, I just don't know who I was bidding against here, I guess. Uh, Let's move on. Let's go to, let's go to Kyrie now. Kyrie Irving re-signs with the Dallas Mavericks three years, $126 million. I saw that Ryan McDonough on NBA TV did a thing basically asking similarly to what I just said about Jeremy Grant, who was bidding this much for Kyrie? Like, where was the market for Kyrie at this point? Honestly, I think the market was potentially Houston. Like, if Houston is giving Fred Van Vliet that money, I mean, look, if I was in Houston's situation, I would rather give Fred Van Vliet that money. But you never know what... Houston is thinking on some level. And if I'm Kyrie Irving's representation, I am very strongly telling them Houston is coming in with an offer and I'm telling them, Hey, like Philadelphia, you know, is trying to work on a sign in trade for me. I think there are a number of different avenues that made this really, really hard for the Mavericks to like completely be able to call his bluff. And that's why you end up with a three-year, you know, $126 million deal for Kyrie Irving. And by the way, Kyrie Irving also really fucking good at basketball still. <laughs> Everything that comes with Kyrie, I get it, man. Like, if you don't want to sign Kyrie because of all of it, cool. Kyrie Irving, they made the commitment at the trade deadline that yep. they were going to do that's this. Right. And since then, I think they've made some really sharp moves. We talked about them earlier this week in regard to draft grades, like I thought they knocked the NBA draft out of the park. They got off of the Davis Burton's money moving down to 10 to 12. They saved, you know, $5 million essentially moving Burton's for Rashawn Holmes and picking up number 24 in the process and only setting down from 10 to 12 took the same guy at number, tw- uh, number 12 that they were making at number 10, I would bet. And Derek Lively. And now you're in a perfect circumstance, I think. Uh, you know, Lottie might be more, you know, bench player who is 10 minutes game in the first year, but he's your center of the future. I would imagine that by year two, he's probably going to be ready. And you also get Omax Prosper in the process who can come in and defend immediately. I think this is, this deal's fine. Again, it's three years. Like it's not a crazy amount of time. This is fine. It's fine. And you hit the nail on the head, Sam, when you mentioned that they made this commitment back at the trade deadline. 
because they gave up so much in order to get Kyrie Irving to Dallas that even if it's a perceived lack of leverage that Kyrie has, Dallas is always going to have their back against the wall because, again, he just can't leave. You can't acquire Kyrie Irving for a two-month rental costing as much as it did for them to get him in Dallas and then see him walk out of the door no matter where or how much money that could be. So I think it's fine with that big giant asterisk that always comes with the Kyrie Irving conversation. It's fine if you believe that he's going to be with you long-term and buy in and be part of the process of what you're building. But again, they made that commitment in the decision when they traded for him several months ago. This is just a follow-up of what we saw in February. And, you know, I don't know if this is where we want to mention Seth Curry as well. That was one of those signings that got rumored while we're sitting here on on the air, uh, kind of a two-year deal of Seth joining Dallas, a return to Dallas for him, another backcourt floor spacer and kind of insurance policy to be the third guard in that rotation. I like what Dallas is building from a basketball standpoint. We just all know that the house of cards really can collapse rather quickly if Kyrie Irving feels like, this isn't the best spot for him. So just a couple of comments here. You know, they could have paid this to Jalen Brunson. Yeah, sure. They could have, and they should have back when he could have signed a four year, 56 or $54 million deal, whatever it was at the time that he was eligible for. They didn't offer it. That's a sunk cost at this point. I think that last off season it was done. Like I think he was going to the Knicks, you know, by the time the playoffs, you know, happened. You know, and were occurring. It seems like they saw the Knicks hired Rick Brunson and that was done. Like, I, I don't think last offseason is the sin. I think that you can go back and say they should have offered him the extension and they didn't. And that's what it is. Right. Uh, but that's sunk cost and you can't get that back. So they made a decision to move on to Kyrie this past trade deadline. And once you did that, you were pot committed to Kyrie. Like, that is the reality of the situation. You can disagree with that decision in terms of wanting to be pot committed to Kyrie Irving, but th- this is the reality of where they are yep. is an organization. Th- they had to do it. And I think basketball Genesis brings up the critical point here. Like that matters above all, you can't lose Luca. If you lose Kyrie Irving and you get back precious little, you are on the road to losing Luka Doncic. I don't think that like he would ask out immediately or anything, but it becomes exceptionally difficult at that point for you to truly be able to build the kind of winner around Luka that it seems like he really desperately wants to play for. So that's the reality. It is what it is. It looks like Kyrie is a player option in year three. I've seen some people question that. I think that was like the point of Ryan McDonough's thing more than anything was that it's a player option on year three. You know what? If you're giving him a guaranteed three years or you're giving him a player option on year three, you're happy if by year three he's able to opt into that player option. That means that, or if he's able to opt out of that player option by year three, that means Kyrie's been a fucking killer for you for year two or for the first two years. So that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do, in my opinion. Um, also just in general here, if they could get off of the Hardaway Jr. and Kleba dollars, they're actually pretty clear next off season and could be like players in free agency. 
I don't know how easy that would be. I don't even know if they want to do that necessarily, given the fact that, you know, Tim Hardaway is probably going to have to play on this team. Maxi Kleba can definitely play is on a pretty reasonable contract, 11 million as well. But they, they have potentially some flexibility to be able to do some things next offseason if they have to. Uh, and if this doesn't go well this year. I don't know. Do you have anything else on Kyrie? It just feels like this is where it was always going for Dallas. Yeah, pretty much. I think the last piece here, and you know, figuring out what, if anything, they're going to do with Christian Wood. If that's another sunk cost and Mm -hmm. something they're just ready to move on from, if there's a sign in trade, or if he really does fit returning, and then try to figure the the rest out and the fit later around the midseason deadline. Yeah, and in the case of the Mavs as well, I do just want to bring up like. We've talked for a few years now about the fact that Dallas does not have much youth and much cost controlled, uh, like young talent in order to kind of continue to, you know, replenish their depth. You look up now, they have Derek Lively, they have Omax Prosper, they have Josh Green, they have uh, Jaden Hardy. I think those four are pretty good. Like, I think those are four really good basketball players who will be really good role players moving forward for them. So I think they've done pretty well. Like I I think the Mavs have done as well as they could have managing uh, this situation right now. And now you have to keep doing it because now you have Luka Doncic on your team. You have to keep trying to win Uh, and it's hard to win in the NBA, but that's what you have to do now. Okay. Let's take one quick commercial break. And then we will jump into, I don't know. We'll decide on the end of the break. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN. If you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. 
just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, Adam, I think I decided what I want to go to now. All right. I think I want to go to Bruce Brown. Oh, let's roll. Because I, I just find it really, I find it more interesting. We'll talk about the three that you sent uh, over text message to me here momentarily. But I think that the Bruce Brown one is a little bit more interesting, if only because he changed teams, right? And Bruce Brown has signed a two-year, $45 million contract with the Indiana Pacers. The second year is a team option, so this is essentially a one-year deal. Uh, it's an enormous one-year deal. I love Bruce Brown. I think Bruce Brown's an awesome basketball player. That's an enormous contract for Bruce Brown uh, on a per-year basis. Truly is. Truly is a big deal. Yeah. But again... I genuinely think that it is almost impossible to overpay on a contract on what amounts to a one-year deal, right? Your opportunity cost is you could have tried to, you know, sign Austin Reeves or something like that. You could have tried to do something else, right? I don't know. It's a one-year deal for Bruce Brown. It's fine. Bruce Brown's a good basketball player. Uh, the thing about Bruce Brown particularly, though, is I love the way he fits in Indiana. I think this is genuinely the exact, like, to a T player type that the Indiana Pacers needed. This has not been a good defense over the last, like, year or so, even though they have Miles Turner, who I think is one of the best defensive centers in the league. They now have a guy in Bruce Brown who's a multi-positional, versatile defender, can deal with uh, situations at the point of attack, can deal with big wings because he's so strong and physical. I think that this is just one of those deals where everything lines up to me. He also just fits their roster really well. They have the shooting around him to be able to account for his lack of spacing uh and by the way bruce brown's gotten better as a shooter like he's somewhat reliable now he's like a 35 percent guy uh he can knock them down off the catch if you leave him alone but you can put him in ball screens with tyrese halliburton now you can basically run 48 minutes of him and jarris walker together or him and jarris walker like one of the two of them on the court where you can short roll them, space out Miles yeah. Turner behind the three-point line, let them handle any time that you put two on the ball against Tyrese Halliburton, hit them in the short roll. Both those guys can really make plays off the bounce. This is going to be a really hard offense to solve now. Tyrese Halliburton is like a you know great offensive guard unto himself. It's a perfect fit with Tyrese Halliburton. 
and you throw in Ben Matherin, you throw in, you know, Buddy Heald, you throw in, like I said, Turner, you throw in Nemhard, you throw in Jairus Walker on this team, Ben Shepard, your God, like Andrew Nemhard is still going to be there playing high leverage minutes on, on some level. I'm sure like they have the shooting, they have the offensive firepower. He's the perfect complimentary fit for offensive firepower. I love this deal. I know it's a lot of money. It's probably, it probably is like a average annual overpay if you want to say that, but doesn't matter. You can't really overpay on a one-year deal. Bruce Brown to the Pacers is a great deal. So I, I love it too. And for almost all of the same reasons that you, you just shared, but I'm going to try to summarize it in a little bit different of a way. Uh, when you are a team like Indiana, who is so far below the cap that you have enough money to spend, you've got two ways to try to go about it. One is to just grab the most talented player that you can and either hope that they do fit with the system that you're building as a younger team or you flip them for an asset down the line. The second pathway you go is you slightly overpay to lure into your system the right piece that brings all of the young players and talents together that shows you a little bit more about what your team will look like when they are competent, aged out, and ready to compete for a title. I love that the Indiana Pacers chose that second route because Bruce Brown, he ties up the loose ends from a lot of the wings that they have on this roster. Like you said, I love the thought of short-rolling Bruce Brown in ball screens with Tyrese Halliburton. I absolutely love the combination of things they can do with that, particularly because, guess what, you have Miles Turner and maybe Jairus Walker, two big guys who could space the floor into the corners if you need and actually be competent spot-up shooters. So there's a lot of stuff that Rick Carlisle can do within this offense to pinpoint and attack mismatches and let Tyrese Halliburton feast. They needed a defender, no doubt about it. But having a competent veteran role-playing wing, to me, is much more important as a use of their cap space this year than going out there and trying to get another ball handler, another scorer, or another guy who's not going to feed into the identity that they want to keep developing here in Indiana. Absolute home run move. Just makes a lot of sense. Like It truly just makes a lot of sense across the board for them. I think uh, really, really good move by the Indiana Pacers. Okay. Let's go to Draymond. Now Draymond green signs a four year, $100 million uh, deal with the golden state warriors. Uh, that fourth year has a player on it. Do you think Draymond green uh, has opted into that player option yet? Cause I feel like there's a pretty good chance. Like he might as well just do that now. Right. <laughs> Probably so. He'll, he'll he'll have some mileage on his body at that point. I'm I'm expecting him to opt in. He will be 36 years old by the time he has to make a decision on that player option. Yeah. Uh, I love Draymond Green. I think this is like what they had to do. I think Draymond Green is tremendous. Uh, people know from listening to the show for years upon years now that I am probably the biggest Draymond Green fan that you will find. I think that he is so essential to this Warriors core and so essential to what the Warriors have built over the course of the last decade that you absolutely cannot let him go. If the choice is between him and Clay Thompson, I am moving on from Clay every day of the week. If I'm running their front office, uh, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not saying that they should move on from Clay. I'm just saying that, you know, to me, Draymond Green is the indispensable one next to Stephen Curry 
you know, not anybody else. So if this is what it costs, this is what it costs, you know, $25 million is probably less than he would have gotten from somebody like the Kings, somebody like uh, Houston, somebody else out there. So four years isn't great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say this is some incredible value contract, but you know, Draymond Green is one of the smartest basketball players to ever live. He is still incredibly impactful defensively. He's still valuable offensively. Uh, this is an easy, this is something you just had to do. Uh, I yep. think it makes sense. Yep. It's the cost of doing business. If you're golden state and you're trying to keep the band together is what it is. Yep. Okay. Next up, Kyle Kuzma to the Washington wizards Four years, $102 million. This surprised me is maybe, I guess the way to put it. I did not expect the Wizards to be willing to go for a four-year high-money contract to Kyle Kuzma, if only given what it seems like their trajectory is moving toward. Uh, it felt like to me they were trying more to rebuild and revamp this thing. You now have Kuzma on like a fairly big deal. I think this contract is still tradable like for value, especially if he takes another leap. Next season, like I think 20 to 25 is probably about right for Kuzma, probably closer to 25. And you get him for four years, like this number probably looks really good once the yeah. TV money really hits in a couple of years. I-, I was confused about it at first, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, the roster is very weird and strange in Washington, but this is probably a deal that is an asset by the time 2025 rolls around. Oh, no doubt about it in my mind. I think this is a great deal for the Wizards to have because it's fair market value for a player who's produced what he's produced moving forward. And beyond that, he's going to have the opportunity to put up numbers in your system the next year or two in a way where you can maximize all of the outgoing trade value from him that you possibly can. So I really like this retention here from the Wizards to be able to keep Kuzma in town. Uh, I was surprised they were able to sway him on this so quickly, but maybe that just has to do more with the landscape of what other teams are really looking at to be able to offer right now for somebody of his position. Kyle Kuzma last season set a career high in scoring 21 points per game. Shot 45% from the field, 33.3% from three, 73% from the line. Uh, averaged 7.2 rebounds. Actually set a career high in assists. I think that the development he's made over the course of the last couple of years as a passer has gone way under the radar. Like He is actually like a fairly okay creator if you put the ball in his hands out of ball screens. Um, makes like reasonably good decisions at this point. Still will take like the odd, wait, what are you doing? Shot. Don't get me wrong, but the confidence he has as a shooter is really important. Like he takes almost eight threes a game. You kind of have to close out on Kyle Kuzma at the end of the day. If you don't close out on Kyle Kuzma, he is going to take that shot. And I don't know about you. Like I I do feel like, I don't know. I feel like he's going to make it if he's open at the end of the day. Like the the numbers say that he shoots 37.4% on unguarded catch and shoot threes. So just that confidence level to take it is really essential. He's a really good player. Uh, 
I'm going to have a lot of fun watching the Wizards the next couple of years here with a lot of the uh, the uber confident guys that they have on their roster offensively. Like they're they're going to be a sneaky fun league pass team. Yeah, like they have Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma locked in now for sixty two million dollars over the next four years. Like that is so aggressive. Uh, 50 million for next year, but it gets up to 62 by the time 2026, 27 rolls around. Then you have Tyus Jones and Monte Morris, who are like the most unselfish players in the world. Uh, it's just like Denny Avdia is like a pretty unselfish guy. Like then you have Corey Kispert space in the floor. It's just a bizarro roster in so many ways. Also, I think that they have like 17 or 18 guys on guaranteed contracts right now like including Koulibaly, it, it's like a wild number. Uh, let me let me look at this. It's 16 plus Koulibaly, 17. So something is going to happen here. They're going to be making moves. You can't have 17 guys on guaranteed deals coming into the year. Uh, we'll see where this lies. I would imagine that a Monte Morris trade is forthcoming. Uh, that's the name that just makes the most sense to move, in my opinion. But DeLon you know, Wright, too. DeLon Wright would make a lot of sense to move like fascinating roster, fascinating rebuild happening in Washington. Uh, I liked the fact that they got a, you know, a first round pick and Pat Baldwin and Ryan Rollins from golden state. Like that makes sense to me as well. Just a bizarro world uh, for the wizards on some level. I guess that they're worse than they were, so they probably are still like a threat to get the number one pick next year, right? They they definitely are. I think that's what they're probably going for at this point. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Sh- shout out to Kyle Kuzma getting paid, though. That's a good, yeah. good win for him. Let's go to Cam Johnson. That is, I believe, the last like enormous money deal that has happened. Cam Johnson re-signs with Brooklyn four years, $108 million. Uh, It felt a bit odd to me that the Nets didn't let this play out because one thing that has happened over the course of free agency so far is this is really the only restricted free agent that, He's signed like a big money deal so far. Like Austin Reeves is still on the market. You know, Miles Bridges is still on the market. Uh, PJ Washington's still on the market. Grant Williams is still on the market, right? We haven't seen these restricted free agents come off the board yet. So for Brooklyn to just decide, fuck it, we're paying him $27 million a year is an interesting choice by the Nets. Super interesting. Also considering that's more than what Kyle Kuzma got. In Washington, that's you know more than what Draymond Green is getting in Golden State, albeit a little bit different circumstances there. Also, like you bring up Kuzma particularly, I think that is like a very apt comparison. How much older do you think Kyle Kuzma is than Cam Johnson? I know Cam was super old when he came out in the draft, so probably not that much. They were both on the older side, right? Yeah. Give me a give, give me a year total and number. Give give me something. Uh, Fourteen months. He is four months older yeah. than yeah. Cam Johnson. All right. So you know Kyle Kuzma is a better player than Cam Johnson. Like they're about the same age, and Kyle Kuzma is better. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's more versatile offensively. I also think Kuzma is a better defensive player than Cam Johnson. Frankly, 
Uh, I think that people think back to those first couple of years with the Lakers with Kuzma, where he really struggled to defend and he hasn't totally shaken that, uh, that reputation yet. He's actually pretty good now. Like he's versatile. He's able to defend multiple different positions. Like he's, he's not like a great defender, but he's good. Like he's totally manageable and cam johnson's fine too like he's not i think kuzma's a better defender and I think he's a more versatile offensive player so for 108 for cam johnson is just an interesting number given i don't he's another one where i don't know where the money was going to come from given that he's restricted and given that the pistons earlier in the day signed joe harris i would imagine this johnson deal was probably done ahead of time which is why the Pistons shifted into like Joe Harris, you know, uh, asset acquisition mode, getting a couple of second round picks, but it's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. What, what is your take on the, uh, the Joe Harris thing for Detroit there? Because that's, I think they had their eyes on Cam Johnson, or at least it seems it was reported throughout this process. And now to have kind of Joe Harris and a couple assets, like they're punting their cap space down the line. Are they not? Yeah, I think that, you know, um, you're not going to pay Jeremy Grant five years, 160. (laughs) Uh, Cam Johnson, this is a big number that Brooklyn is just paying. So theoretically, they probably would match 30, right? So if they're matching for 120, you probably don't want to pay that if you're Detroit. Uh, If you're... I mean, like, I'm trying to think of other free agents they could have theoretically chased. Like, they have to be able to shoot. Like, genuinely, they can't add any more non-shooters from a roster-building perspective. So, like, I, you probably don't want to chase Brooke Lopez because you have Jalen Duran already. You probably don't want to chase D'Angelo Russell because Russell wants the ball in his hands, and that would take it out of Cade and Jaden Ivey and Asar Thompson's hands. Yeah. Max Struess. I mean, you you could chase Max Struess. Like, maybe Struess is the one. Maybe that's it. Um, but, like, would you rather have Max Struess on 464 or Joe Harris on a one-year deal and keep the uh, flexibility moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably have Joe Harris in in that regard. So I'm not criticizing what Detroit's front office has done. I just find it very interesting that they are making the decision to kind of punt that draft of the cap space down the line a little bit more and try to see a little bit about what they have with this young nucleus before figuring out who to surround them with. Yeah, and, you know, you you bring up them punting cap space. I mean, this team just has – an enormous amount of it next year, potentially like they have the boy on Bogdanovich, like non-guaranteed 2024, 25 year. Yeah. And then all they have on the books the following year is 12 and a half million for Marvin Bagley, 13.9 million for Cade Cunningham, 8 million for Jaden Ivy, and then four and a half for Jalen Duran plus the Asar Thompson and Marcus Sasser numbers, which will add up to like 10. So you know, even if they decide to re-sign Isaiah Stewart to a big number, they're pretty, you know, pretty open still. Like the next year is their year where they can really, you know, chase guys. I feel like and get a substantial amount of money. So yep. it, it's it's a it's a strange it's not a strange choice. It just is a choice. I think yep. to move and, forward. 
And, and last thing on this one, and correct me if I'm wrong here, by trading Joe Harris, the Brooklyn Nets created like a $19 million trade exception that they can use over the next 12 months. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. So, so Somewhere, unique, I don't know the exact number, but in that ballpark, yeah. yeah. That's a really unique piece for them as they want to keep optionality open for their franchise to either absorb contract and get a ton of picks or yeah. to make a little bit more aggressive of a move. Like I, I think that needs to be brought up in this conversation with Cam Johnson. Yes, they've committed a lot of money, but they've cleared some, and they still have the flexibility to go in a number of different directions with their roster this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, totally agree. And Joe Harris is a guy that like Detroit needed. Like They needed a shooter like that at the very least. Uh, I don't know if they needed specifically Joe Harris, but they needed somebody that can knock down shots. Um Cam Johnson. Look, Cam Johnson's a fine player. Uh, you know, last year he averaged, uh, by the time he got to Brooklyn, 16.6 points shot, uh, 37% from three, 47% from the field, five rebounds, two assists per game, you know, gets into passing lanes. He's a fine player. Like he's a starting caliber NBA player. It, it's a big number for me, for Cam Johnson, frankly. It, it, just to like give it to him without making him go out on the market and find something. It's a lot, but it's a I, lot. I, I get why Brooklyn did it. I get why I get yeah. why they did it. Uh, so let's go to the next one. The Bucks are going to re-sign Chris Middleton for a, what is it? It's three years, 105, something like that. Uh, yeah, I had 102, but right around there, 32, yeah. 33 mil a year. Yep. Uh, give me thoughts on that while I write up a banner for it. <laughs> you know, it's a, I think a sensible move from the Bucks. What a, a, I don't remember off the top of my head what his player option would have been for this year that he declined, but it was right around the same average annual value, if not maybe slightly oh, no. higher. I think it was more than that. Yeah. yeah. I think it was quite a bit more than that. So it, what I see from this, from Middleton's side, a little bit of injury stuff the last year or so declining that option and taking a little bit more of the longer view is the safer route for him and his camp. But for Milwaukee, this opens up just a little bit more flexibility for them to, to do some stuff around the margins, which is, is really, really important for them moving forward because we've seen, you know, this is not a team that has a lot of youth, a lot of young assets. They need to continue to attract veterans if they want to keep this title window open, the more flexibility they have for that, the better which could become important depending on what happens with Brooke Lopez. So I, I think this was really important for Milwaukee to get a fairly team-friendly deal here for Middleton in order to, to keep the band together and see what else they can bring in. Yeah, and they just had to do it. Like if they didn't re-sign Chris Middleton, they were nowhere uh, around Giannis, right? Uh, the big move for the Bucks now is what happens with Brooke Lopez. And... This rocket steal seemingly takes an option off the table. I think they could still, you know, maneuver around if they had to in order to find money for Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is somebody that, you know, we've talked about like the average starting centers in the NBA, Jakob Pertl making 20, Nikola Vucevic making 20. Brooke Lopez is better than both of those guys currently by a substantial margin. Like that, that is not a small amount brooke lopez was for my money a top three defensive player in the nba this past season and is an awesome shooter awesome floor spacer 
probably helps you more in terms of your offensive value than most lower usage centers in the league. Like the Bucks have to do what they have to do to keep him. I know that the tax bill is going to get exorbitant, but like you absolutely have to pay him $25 million a year if that's what it takes. Like two years, you, you do two years, 60 million and make the second year a team option or something like that if you have to. Yeah. And beyond that, like injury stuff aside, he's one of the most reliable dudes in the entire league. He shows up, he doesn't really have bad games. He's, great in the locker room in different areas. Like if you, if you have the opportunity to get or keep Brooke Lopez, any team should do it. Just a, a, a winning basketball player. Yeah. Like you look at, you know, the wins he's added to the bucks per dunks and with their EPM model, 10 wins last year, seven wins in 2021, seven and a half wins in 2020, 10 and a half wins in 2019. He is somewhere between a seven and 10 win player. And that is a super, super valuable dude. It's a super valuable player. Those guys make 25 million plus a year. Pay the guy and just move on if you're Brooklyn or if you're Milwaukee. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, you have yep. to do it. Yep. Okay. Next up, let's get into some of these teams that made moves. Just overall team, you know lockups the los angeles lakers let's start with them because i thought that they had a really good day they sign gabe vincent to a three-year 33 million dollar deal they re-sign rui achimura to a three-year 51 million dollar deal they signed cam reddish to some sort of contract and then they signed torian prince to a one-year 4.5 million dollar deal i love it like uh, all of this makes total sense to me The the Vincent one is the one where I'm like still trying to wrap my head around it a little bit uh, because the idea behind them signing a mid-level guy was that they would be able to then bring back D'Angelo Russell and then also spend $12.4 million on Austin Reeves next year. I'm still wrapping my head around the Vincent deal. I like it in theory because I like the fact that they go out and they get like a point of attack defender who can be a competent point guard, who can knock down shots, do things like that. Um, where are you at on what happened with the Lakers today? I I just continually need help to weigh through some of the cap stuff. And this is where maybe you can help me on this. I don't know if you're the right guy necessarily, Sam. I, I think you are. Uh, but the mechanics around keeping Austin Reeves in Los Angeles are, are one that I just, I, I think I understand because he, he caps out for the first two years at around like 12 to 13 million a year. But how does the rest of that contract look if Reeves signs an offer sheet elsewhere? So the way it would look for the Lakers is that they would be committed to him for 12.4 million this year. Uh, five or 8% raise, depending on if he just signs a Lakers deal or moves on to, uh, you know, sign an offer sheet somewhere. And then they would pay whatever the number is, be it, you know, 30 million, 27 million per year in years three and four. And if you're the Lakers, does not matter. Pay the money. Austin Reeves is good. Austin Reeves is a really good basketball player. Pay the money. Uh, you're going to be in a situation after next season, after the year, potentially the year after that, where you don't know what the roster looks like. 
an Austin Reeves deal like probably does not handicap you. LeBron James is unfortunately an older player who probably does not have much time left in the NBA. Uh, Anthony Davis, like sneakily, I'm not sure how many people recognize that Anthony Davis like has a player option uh, or an early termination option. I'm sorry for next season. Like, it is possible for Anthony Davis to terminate that contract and move on in free agency next summer if he wants to. The Lakers need to potentially negotiate an extension with him this summer. That's actually something I'm really looking for to see if they are able to do so or if Anthony Davis is willing to do so. That's an important move. But look, like you end up with Gabe Vincent and Rui Achimura. That's $30 million total in 2025-26. That is the only money on their books in 2025-26. If you add another 30 for Austin Reeves, you still have only $60 million committed on your books, you know, to go with the Jalen Hood Shafino money, which will be like five million then. Yeah. And maybe Max Lewis at that point if he proves to be good. So it doesn't matter. Like you you pay the money and you just say whatever. And by the way, like the team that I'm looking at now, I've been saying I think the Rockets should do this, but the Rockets did Van Vliet for reasons that make total sense as we talked about at the top. I mean, if you're if you're the Spurs, you absolutely do what you have to do to get Austin Reeves. You you wait, obviously. Like you hang out here for a minute yeah. and you don't tie up your cap space for six days. But you, I'm waiting around. I'm not using the rest of my space. And I am anxiously awaiting uh, the moratorium to end so that I can give Austin Reeves a four-year, $90 million contract or something with all of the bells and whistles. Trade kicker, you know, player option, all the money up front every year, or 50% of the money up front every year, like all of it. Because that's a guy that works with Vic. Like, that's a guy that makes an immense amount of sense with Victor Wembanyama and the right. core that they have there. So, and, and that's what I'm um, trying to figure out here. Like, is there a deal that either the Lakers would not or could not match from this? Like, how sweet does the offer really need to be? And is there a point where the Lakers really can't keep Austin Reeves? Because if that's a possibility or something that they actually see coming down the, you know, the, the pipeline here in the next couple of days – then Gabe Vincent signing and getting him early in free agency makes all of the sense in the world to me. If they're really committed to moving on from D'Angelo Russell and they know they're going to keep Austin Reeves and it's Reeves and Vincent makes a ton of sense in the world to me, but I'm trying to figure out which one of those two directions this really is. Yeah. I don't think they're letting Reeves go. I think that look, all of the signals publicly are that they're going to match whatever the number is. I think Austin Reeves is really good. Like he was worth five wins last year, despite only playing in like for half of the season in the role that he was in the playoffs. Right. Like Austin Reeves just put up an incredible playoff run. Like we talk about all the time, how the playoffs are the most important time of the year. The playoffs are this, the playoffs are that like, and it's a hundred percent right. Like I don't mean to diminish them. Austin Reeves just put up 17 points, four and a half rebounds, 4.6 assists, shooting 36, 44, 90 from the field while playing pretty good defense. That is a player that should get like that. That's a player that somebody should pay four years, a hundred million, like what his max is 
to try and get out of Los Angeles. And he's still young. He's 25 years old. Like this is it's a no brainer, I think, to try and get him out. And it's a no brainer for the Lakers to match. Like I, I saw people like, you know, mentioning when Bruce Brown was connected with the Lakers. Oh, Bruce Brown would be the third best player on the Lakers. Bruce Brown's really good. I love Bruce Brown. He is not close to as good as Austin Reeves, at least as good as Austin Reeves was in the playoffs. Dude just put up 17, four and a half and four and a half on 46, 44, 90 in the playoffs. It's ridiculous. Team that made the Western Conference Finals. That dude is worth a max deal on four ninety nine. He's worth twenty five million a year, even if you have to put it in weird, like increments where it's twelve, twelve, thirty five, thirty five, or whatever. That's my Austin Reeves spiel. The rest of these moves, look, I think signing Rui at three years, fifty one. Yeah, sure, makes total sense to me. Uh, I-, I would like it if there's a team option on the end of it. We'll see, you know, what the deal looks like once it actually comes out. Um, Rui is somebody that, again, proved himself in the playoffs as being a worthwhile contributor, which I had questions about coming into the like coming into that trade. I wasn't sure if he'd be able to do that, frankly. But you know what? He did and he proved it and you should pay him in order to do it. Yeah. And uh, and I think Cam Reddish, this is like a, a Malik Monk part two swing from the Lakers where they're hoping that just a new organization, a little more stability, maybe some clarity in his role turns a highly touted youngster into a, a, a valuable piece that they can get some value out of. Uh, do you have any any Cam Reddish thoughts? Like, is he I think it's like an interesting flyer as long as it's like yeah. a minimum type. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it there. It's it's Malik Monk part two. Yeah, no, I think that's like an interesting attempt for them to go for. The Vincent thing is interesting. I don't know what to make of Gabe Vincent. It it really does for me kind of come down to the shooting. I would say you're playing with LeBron James. You're playing with Anthony Davis and Gabe Vincent throughout the course of his career has been up and down. Let's call it as a shooter, you know, 30% in 2021, 37% in 2022, 33% in the regular season last year made 38% in the playoffs uh, in 2023, but made 31% in the playoffs in 2022. If Gabe Vincent shoots, he will be a super valuable player for the Lakers. If he doesn't shoot, you know, it becomes a little bit more difficult, I think, to get him on the court in the playoffs. So he needs, the shooting needs to stay. If the shooting stays, this is an incredibly valuable contract for the Lakers, I think. Yeah, I, I really like Vincent because he defends. Uh, he's a much smarter decision maker than D'Angelo Russell. I think Russell has the opportunity to make bigger plays with the ball in his hands at times, but I always find myself watching every D'Angelo Russell game and feeling like there's one or two decisions he makes that just leave me scratching my head. Gabe Vincent yeah. doesn't have that same propensity to to kind of be all over the map in terms of decision making. Uh, I would rather have a player like that who – gets guarded like a shooter most of the time, even if the shots aren't going in, then maybe have somebody like Russell who can really go off and, and carry your offense in spurts, but is going to have a, a poor decision or two along the way. Yep. Uh, let's go to the Suns now. The Phoenix Suns bring in Kata Bates, Diop, Drew Eubanks, Yuta Watanabe, Chemezi Metu, Josh Kogi, and Damian Lee. Uh, this is about as good as they could have done. Like this is a home run. Uh, Kate Bates Diop is 
maybe my favorite signing so far among like the lower end dudes that have been signed uh has a real chance to like start for them i think he was really good really really good for san antonio this year started 42 games averaged 10 points four rebounds he shot 39 percent from three 50 percent from the field he's big he's long he has like a six or a seven foot two wingspan like takes up big swaths of the court this is just kind of a smart move i think Across the board, I think it's worth mentioning here that the Phoenix Suns are so cap straddled with the concentration of their money in their big four players right now that the only tools at their disposal for adding more depth to this roster are essentially minimum type deal contracts and then re-signing guys like Akogi and Damian Lee. And I think it was really important for them to come out here in this first day of free agency and try to accomplish as much as they possibly could to round out that roster, to not let some of the good, cheaper free agent targets that they had find a different spot to go. One of the things that I really appreciate about the the swath of talent that they brought in, I think there are enough guys here who are young enough that they can eat up a lot of regular season minutes if they need. You know, you're not necessarily expecting to get three or four guys on these minimum deals they're going to be expert rotation players for you in the playoffs. Hopefully one or two of them is continually going to be on the floor for you and part of that rotation. But at the very least, you need guys to eat up those minutes alongside your stars throughout the regular season. I thought that this was a fantastic step for them and just getting young, hungry, but versatile enough players who fit what they're trying to get on all of those keep, keep, excuse me, cheap contracts in a way that gives them less risk that these guys are going to sign elsewhere. Get it done on the first day. Smart, smart, smart move by their front office. Yep, totally. Uh, Yuta Watanabe has had like inconsistency shooting throughout the course of his career, but when he's on and shooting, he's super valuable because he's a good defender and he can really shoot from the corners particularly. Uh, Chemezi Metu and Drew Eubanks, I think, are really good like backup level centers. Uh, you could probably even swing a world where Chemezi Metu is playing as a four next to DeAndre Ayton. You don't want to do it often. But like if you need to steal minutes occasionally, you could probably swing it. Um, Okogi was there. Damian Lee was there. Uh, Chemezi Metu is an athletic, you know, kind of pogo sticky, uh, you know, combo big. Drew Eubanks just works his ass off. He's a great screener, uh, you know rolls to the rim hard, is efficient with his decision-making. I I would rather have Jock Lawndale than Drew Eubanks, but if the number is Jock Lawndale at five or six million and Drew Eubanks at, you know, two million or something like that, like depending on what they pay, I understand why the Suns front office would decide to do it. Yep, 100%. Okay. Uh, One thing we didn't talk about among like bigger deals is the Christoph Porzingis yeah. extension. Uh, he signed a two-year $60 million extension. That brings his total deal to three years $96 million with the Boston Celtics. It's what he's worth. <laughs> like It's just kind of simple again. Like If Jakob Pertl's getting 20, Christoph Porzingis, I think, was the fourth highest scoring center in the league last year. Drills threes, like in an awesome floor spacer. 
You can play him in a drop scheme really effectively because he's so big and so long. His use of angles is pretty good defensively. Uh, he is a very good rim protector. Th- this is a deal that lines up for me uh, for the Boston Celtics. Yeah, no issues on my end. It, you know, it's just similar in, in some regards, like the Kyrie discussion that we had. When you make an acquisition for a player like this, you need to double down on making sure that you retain them. Even though the Celtics didn't give up a ton to get Porzingis, which, by the way, still feels like highway robbery, the whole point of acquiring him was to keep him around a little bit long-term with Tatum and Brown. So no issues whatsoever with this extension. So next, in terms of my point, would be Yes, Kristaps was like the fourth highest, you know, scoring center in the league last year. He was also a plus defensive player, according to advanced metrics. The uh, in terms of like estimated wins added, according to dunksandthrees.com, based off of their EPM model, 11 and a half. That was the third most among any center in the league. That is a awesome, awesome, awesome uh number to have you know obviously anthony davis you know would have finished ahead of him had he played a full complement of games but i think it truly went underrated how good christops was last year you look at what christops you know shot christops is one of the few guys where you genuinely have to guard him 28 feet from the rim like if he is trailing and nobody gets a body on him and you flip it back to him, Kristaps hit 38% from three last year on shots 28 feet from the rim or further. That is a nuts number. That is a crazy number. Like, Kristaps is really good. He's a really good basketball player now. This is a good deal for Boston. Uh, And it makes a lot of sense for what their direction is. We'll see what happens with Al Horford. We'll see what happens with Rob Williams. I would imagine Rob Williams sticks around, but Al Horford uh, has two years left on a awesome extension for 19 million. You're going to be able to play super big. Those three guys getting 96, you know, minutes together at the four and the five, plus, you know, maybe some minutes here and there with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum at the four makes total sense. Love it. Smart move. Okay. Next up among the teams, the Cavs re-sign Karis LeVert, two years, $32 million. They sign George Niang, three years, $26 million. And let's talk about those two first before we get into the rumored deal that may or may not be happening. Uh, Karis LeVert, two years, 32 it's fine. Like, I have no strong opinions on it. I think that this is probably what he's worth as a sixth man. Yeah, and uh, he's proven to bail the Cavs out of different situations because they don't have a ton of wing depth. I think what we're seeing right now is a trend where they're trying to correct that, but you can't overcorrect it to the point where you prioritize the what-ifs on the free agent market and not reward Levert for what he's been able to put up and produce in your system. So fair deal for me. Completely fair deal. Next up, Niang. This is a team that desperately needs wing shooting. You know, they, they had some useful minutes with Kevin Love last year. I think that's probably what they're thinking. You know, George Niang can replace Kevin Love's minutes uh, on this roster that they were missing after the deadline. 
I would assume this makes Dean Wade expendable on some level. If I was an opposing team that, you know, if I was like someone like Boston, like I would look for Dean, look at Dean Wade as like an interesting player to take a look at. Uh, if I was any team that had an expendable wing, you know, where you're not sure what they are, but you know, maybe, maybe there's something out there. I would take a look at Dean Wade. Uh, but George Niang is better than Wade. He's an upgrade there. He's a, you know, solid replacement for the Kevin Love minutes, and he might be able to scale down and play the three occasionally. And he is an unabashed gunner. When he is open from yep. three, he's letting that thing go. So Cavs fans, if, you, if you're, if you've gotten used to watching a bunch of your three men, just wonder whether they should shoot the ball from the perimeter. George Niang is not going to do that. He catches that thing and there's no one breathing on him. It's going up. Yep. I think that's absolutely right. Niang last year on catch and shoot threes, he took 400 of them. (laughs) So about five per game and made them at 41.3% on unguarded catch and shoots. He made them at 48%. Uh, That is a ridiculous number. Look, Karis Levert had his best shooting year of his career last year. George Niang, you know, obviously a tremendous shooter. The other guy that they are reportedly looking at is, are, is Max Struess. And we'll see if this deal that people keep alluding to as a potential outcome can get done. It seems like it would take a third team, and that is where this can get very difficult. But you add Max Struess and George Niang to this Cavs team, they become exceptionally difficult to guard at that point. Uh, I love the, I love what they're doing in terms of filling needs. And then you bring in Levert as like a secondary ball handler. This is pretty close to an A plus off season. If they end up with Levert and Yang and Struess, I think. Yeah, I agree. And we talked about it in their series against the New York Knicks. Like they were just too easy to guard when they had one non-shooter on the floor. This is the right way to correct that. I really don't believe with the infrastructure of Allen and Mobley as your defensive tandem down low, that you can ever overcorrect in terms of getting shooters and more offense first role players. Like those two are such a defensive safety net that you can really afford to go in this direction and be quite fine. So I I would love to see Strews end up here. Yep. I think that's right. Okay. Next up. Next up. Let's go with the Bulls signing Kobe Jones and Javon Carter. Uh, I think Kobe Jones or Kobe White deal. I called him Kobe Jones. Jesus Christ. Um, Kobe White, three years, 33 million. Completely reasonable deal. Uh, I think that he figured some things out, especially in the second half of last season maybe he can be a starter long-term worst case scenario. I do think he's going to be a sixth man over the course of this contract and create that commensurate value. Totally solid, reasonable deal. Yeah. No issues with that for white. Like I I keep thinking about this roster and the way that the bulls have really built it out or intentionally signed players the last couple of years. It's like they want to have three or four like just bucket getters in Levine, DeRozan, maybe Vucevic, Kobe White could fall in there, and then a bunch of these gritty, self-aware defense-first role players around them. It's a it's a fascinating construct. Which, when everybody was healthy, and you know, it doesn't seem like we're going to necessarily get that again, but when everybody was healthy, it worked out pretty well for them. I want to see if they can recover some of that, even if Lonzo Ball isn't there next year. I think that's right. Um, 
the Clippers sent $2.1 million to the Pistons for Balsa Koprovitz's draft rights? No. Shut up. What? Let's talk about Javon Carter. I need to think about this okay, momentarily. Okay. This is genuinely breaking my brain uh, yeah. in real time. Me too. Uh, J- okay. Javon Carter's got that dog in him. Uh, that is that is an intense defender and, and a guy who I've always loved for the way that he picks up full court, the way that he's willing to sacrifice his body for the defensive end of the floor. Um, you, you know, it, it's – it's a nice kind of replacement to what Patrick Beverly had given to them over the last year. I think they have some positional flexibility in their backcourt to play multiple guards together. It's going to come down to the shooting for how much he can stay on the court next to their top stars. But as a change of pace guard and just a really good role player for what looks like about six, six and a half million a year. Like, yeah, I'm cool with this for Chicago. I have no issues in that regard. Yeah, the Javon Carter deal's fine. I'm still like processing <laughs> the balsa thing. I wonder if it's because the Clippers can't. So, because the Clippers are going to be like way over the second apron, like financially, they won't be able to trade money in deals. Do you want me to tell another Javon Carter story while you figure it out? Yeah, do do that. I'm okay. I'm continuing to process live on yeah, camera. Right. J- sir, I'll I'll roll with it here. Javon Carter, uh, I heard this story and I'm I'm like 95% sure this is this is true and how it worked out is that West Virginia and Bob Huggins gave him an offer when he was playing in full court pressing at an 8 a.m. game on the AAU circuit. That the energy that he brought to his team at that level is really what earned him a a division one scholarship from a high major program and what allowed Bob Huggins who one of the toughest guys that you would find out there at the college head coaching level really bought into. So I have always loved and, and bought into this idea of the person, the work ethic, the who Javon Carter is to maximize all of his traits and just stick in the league. I think that the Chicago bulls are onto something by continuing to surround their offensive-minded core with these tough, gritty, self-aware, maximize-who-they-are role players, guys like him, guys like Alex Caruso. I think Dalen Terry and the energy and the self-awareness he plays with is kind of part of that. Javante Green has been that way for the last year or so. Like That's a, a winning recipe for me, and it's an example about Javon Carter that I always use in trying to talk to younger players. Like, you never know who's watching, and if you can cut a career on just being the toughest SOB in the gym, it's going to carry you a really long way. So my my read on the Balsa deal All right. is that they just went out and got something that they can like use as like touching rights in a potential deal with like somebody else. Because again, like if you can't move cash it becomes harder to facilitate some of these deals where like you're doing three team deals and things like that so maybe they just got the copper visa draft rights in order to like maintain trade flexibility interesting very interesting yeah, okay very bold, so. it's a lot of money to do on that but like steve Malmer burns money i guess doesn't really matter um are your notifications yeah, turned on here too sam 
No, so uh, I'm seeing Wizards are trading Monte Morris to the Pistons. From who? Well, from Shams. Wizards trading Monte Morris to the Pistons. Sources tell the Athletic. Shout out Shams. There we go. Shout out Monte Morris. By the way, did we we called that what thirty minutes ago? That that's where this was going, right? Thirty like minutes. Monte, thirty minutes ago. Had to be yeah. Monte Morris getting moved. Um, interesting deal. Uh, I like him as a veteran point guard next to Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham a lot. Uh, Monte's from the Michigan area, so he probably will be ecstatic to do like a bit of a homecoming. Um, that's a really good deal for them. I I, want to know what they're getting. Yeah, I want to know what they're giving up, but I I think that's a really, really sharp move in theory for them. Yeah, I I do like that for Detroit. That's why. Honestly, I wonder if they just give up. I don't know how much money they have left. I think probably right around his number. I wonder if they just give up like the two picks they got for Joe or they got like for taking on the Joe Harris money. Maybe it's possible. Yeah. Probably don't give up a first round pick for Monte Moore. No, 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 no. Don't give up first. Yeah. But, and, and I think that Washington would be quite comfortable taking two seconds and just having as many clusters of future picks as possible. Yeah, that's a great deal. That really, really smart deal. Go get a veteran that's a steady hand that never turns the ball over, that can shoot. Uh, yeah, I like that a lot. Monte can really, really. I think that's the thing that goes underrated. Just when you talk about Monte as a decision maker, right? Is the fact that you know he is somebody that posts a consistent like four to one, five to one assist to turnover yes. ratio. But I've I pulled up his page on basketball reference now uh he's a 39 percent three-point shooter over the course of his career and this is a pistons team that desperately needs uh shooting so shooting decision making great fit with Cade cunningham and jade nivy less killian hayes minutes perfect cross the board there you go uh actually it's funny like i sneaky really liked uh, i'm seeing somebody here said um, strong professional presence in the locker room, cheap Fred Van Vliet esque character. Honestly, like I was thinking, the Rockets should look at Monte Morris for all the reasons we talked about at the top, uh, for his for Fred Van Vliet's character and everything like that. So, yeah, no, this is a it's a good move, good move. Um, rapid fire speed round. As Mark Schindler and I talked about yesterday on the show, Herb Jones back to New Orleans, four years, 52 million. The important thing here in terms of this is that there are no player options on this deal. I was honestly pretty surprised by that. I thought that you would do player option uh, on this deal. I was wondering if they would do like a two plus one in order to get them back into free agency quicker. But uh, Herb had like a bit of a mixed bag year last year so maybe you do just want to lock in the 52 uh and if he's good you'll probably still be good in four years anyway so yeah this is a good deal this is this makes sense to me across the board for everybody involved yep and this was telegraphed once they declined the uh the team option that they had on him that they were going to try to bring him back because there's no way new orleans was letting herb jones go i think a fair deal uh, in terms of market value yep um trey jones Back to the Spurs, two years, $20 million. 
Trey Jones had a really underrated year last year. Very similar point guard to the Monte Morris, uh, you know, DeLon Wright, like hive of great decision makers. Uh, Trey's a little bit more of a questionable shooter, but Trey's a better defender than a lot of these guys are. Um, yeah, this makes, this is a great deal. He'll either be their starting point guard or will play 28 minutes a game as their backup. He should be a high-end backup point guard in the future, and $10 million a year, it's a great team-friendly deal that doesn't kill a lot of San Antonio's cap space and allows them that optionality to go out and acquire the right long-term fit next to Victor Weminyama as somebody who plays the one. Great move for the Spurs. Uh, Shaler Neal says, Monte Morris for one second-round pick. One second-round pick, that's it. Great work by the Pistons. That's a good deal. Um Hollinger, this is supposed to say Hollinger, according to Eric Johnson. Uh, Hollinger thinks it might be a prelude to a multi-team Harden deal. Clippers need draft rights to trade per the touch rule. Kind of what I was getting at earlier, Hollinger connected the dots to the uh, Harden deal, which makes total sense. Yeah, that lines up to me. Makes a ton of sense. Uh, okay, Shake Milton to Minnesota, two years, $10 million. They also signed Troy Brown earlier. Thoughts, concerns? I don't really have any thoughts, man. Like it's it, Minnesota's got a lot to work out with their front court, and they need to find a way to balance that with continuing to add like depth and talent to this roster in some regard. I, I like Shake just fine. I like Troy Brown just fine. I don't think they're needle movers here. Just good depth to have. Yeah, Shake is a good rotational player. He played like fifteen hundred minutes this year, and shot 38% from three and generally makes good decisions. Not the quickest mover of the ball, not the quickest release on his shot, but solid, like good eighth man. End of an era for Mike Levin uh, in Philadelphia, the biggest shake Milton fan. I apologize to Mike Levin for losing shake. I know that he will be devastated. Uh, Shout out to Ricky. But sometimes you got to move on. Trey Lyles to Sacramento, two years, $16 million. We mentioned this earlier in conjunction. Well, maybe this is where we do Sacramento. So Sacramento did this, and they brought in Chris Duarte. Yesterday, when we talked about the Harrison Barnes extension, I mentioned the idea of them going out and getting somebody like Chris Duarte, uh, a player on a rookie-scale deal that maybe – the incumbent team did not want to pay moving forward, uh, going and getting that player. Duarte is a prime example of that. I think that makes total sense for them to go out and look for. He didn't shoot well this year, but Duarte is a good shooter. I'm not real worried about that. He dealt with some injuries this year. He'll be a good rotation piece that really fits what Sacramento asks of its wing players and guards in that offense perfect fit for Sacramento. Trey Lyles, two years, 16 million, played a good role as the backup center in the playoffs, you know, can be a four man as well, can knock down shots, spaces the floor. I have no real, uh, no real qualms with that. Now, what I am a little bit questionable on is I do think that this potentially could lock them up in terms of not being able to do a renegotiation and extension for Sabonis. So that piece of it is a bit weird to me. 
if I was them, like that would have been what I would have prioritized this summer is giving Demonis his money. Maybe Sabonis wants to test free agency. Like that's possible. I would be, I don't even know yeah. if I'd be surprised by that. I don't know what Demonis Sabonis wants, but I, I, I would have tried to go down that route. And I am curious to know more about what the Kings plan is, I guess. Sure. Uh, is it just literally I, to run it back with Duarte? Like, Maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where else they could really add to this without sacrificing that long-term Sabonis money. Like, I, I think if you think, if you remember back to when Duarte and Sabonis played together in Indiana, that was a really impactful pairing in a lot of different ways. Some stuff off a two-man game and dribble handoffs. Duarte is a nice backup piece to Kevin Herter in different regards. Like I, I would really love that acquisition and, and to see that come to fruition here. I think Lyles is a solid like backup guy. I always say having a break glass in case of emergency stretch big man is impactful for teams in the playoffs because it's a solid counter to drop coverage if that's what you're seeing. I, I have no issues with Sacramento is, is really building here. I, I know we're expecting them and wanting them to make that more aggressive swing, but Sometimes doubling down on continuity isn't the worst strategy. I mean, we just saw the Denver Nuggets win a title by doing that year after year after year. I don't think we need to be on the fast track to urging the Kings to do something crazy. What I'm trying to figure out is I need to look more into their cap sheet, I guess, to understand what what maybe tools they have at their disposal. Like, is there a chance they're trading Duarte? in for like a like a trade exception that they maybe have like is there a chance as opposed to space and they're going to try and stay over the cap and do it that way maybe keep keep yeah. talking about um <laughs> the kings for a second here sure while i think about i can a little bit more i can keep i can definitely keep talking about the Kings because i know i didn't have a chance to talk about harrison barnes who signed his extension in some regard and uh, that is one that I think is really important for Sacramento to have gotten done heading into this free agency period. You know, there was some rumor about, are they going to be a potential destination for Draymond Green, a reunion between him and Mike Brown? Like I never thought that was going to be plausible to lure him away from Golden State, but Harrison Barnes is as underrated of a veteran wing as you can find in this league. He shoots, he defends, in general, I think he's a good decision maker. Like There are a lot of, of really positive things that Harrison Barnes brings to your team that oftentimes don't get noted. And we've had this conversation earlier about like Jeremy Grant and some of these guys who are seemingly overpaid as wings because they have one or two really productive offensive seasons. And then collectively, the public kind of underrates them because we see they're paid so much money and they're not necessarily worth that in a vacuum. Therefore they're not really valuable players to have. And I, I very much disagree with that sentiment. I think Tobias Harris is really valuable. I think Jeremy Grant is a very valuable basketball player. I think Harrison Barnes is a very valuable basketball player to have as a two way wing who does a lot of different things on the floor and just allows you a little bit of lineup flexibility. So I thought it was really smart for Sacramento to lock him in and get that done early. So I think what I'm recognizing here is that 
I believe that Trey Lyles is being signed with early bird rights. Oh. Which means that they can continue to maintain their space in theory. Because Lyles' cap hold probably was not that high. So they it, it probably does not... The Duarte move would go into cap space. The Lyles move would not, is my read on this. All right. That's my current assumption, which means they can operate over or under still, which means they should either have a full mid-level left or they can maintain cap space if they want to. So they still have flexibility in terms of how they can get all of this done. Okay. My, my brain is firing a little bit again. It took me a minute to like figure it out on the fly here. Um, Cause I, I just hadn't thought a lot about Sacramento. So th- if they have cap space, it means they can still renegotiate and extend some bonus, which is ultimately what my question is. Is that the route they go down? Okay. I feel better about this now. This makes much more sense to me moving forward. Okay. Uh, the one, look, I love Joe Ingles. Um, love him. One of my favorite players, like great shooter, unbelievable decision maker. I'm a little bit confused on Orlando. Um, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know why paying Joe Ingles. I can't imagine that that second year is fully guaranteed. If it is, if, if Mark Bartlestein got Joe Ingles two guaranteed years at $11 million per year, we need to like build this man a statue somewhere. Se- second year's uh, is the team agent. option. It's a team option. Okay. Year. Yeah. Regardless, we maybe need to like sell like little mini Mark Bartlestein action figures <laughs> for him getting Joe Ingles $11 million a year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is, that is a deal. Um, I love Joe Ingles. I think he's great. He gives them like a veteran presence. They desperately need shooting. I, I just think that he's really seemingly struggling to move. Like he struggled to move after he came back from his injury last year, unfortunately. I think that's all that I have to say about it too. Um, I love angles. I love the ball movement. Like he will always be my favorite pass fake layup guy in the world. It's the most lethal, hilarious move whenever it works when he's driving yeah. to his, you know, one way and he fakes a pass across his body and then lays it. It's, it's awesome to watch, but I just, I don't think he can separate much anymore. Uh, that's a lot of money for a guy. You got some questions about how he moves. Yep. Okay. Last one here on the board is Reggie Jackson to Denver for 10 million. They also brought back DeAndre Jordan. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, you know, that seems like just a total veteran locker room deal, whatever. I'm not going to, you know, sit here and, you know, parse one way or another on it. I'd imagine he's back on the minimum or so. Uh, Reggie Jackson, I didn't think was very good for Denver last year. Did you? Nope. I'm a little bit surprised that this was their option. Yeah. Keep the band together. Keep, if if you were a positive veteran on a championship team, I get why you'd bring him back 10 or 10 and a half mil seems a little much for me in order to make that happen. But uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. um, 
I mean, they just drafted Jalen Pickett to be their backup guard in theory, right? Like the whole goal of drafting Pickett is you hope he can play sooner rather than later, which allows you to hopefully skimp a little bit on the guard position and then be able to move, you know, use this money on wings would have been my theory, right? Perhaps. Yeah, I, I, sure. I'm fine with Reggie. Like, again, veteran presence who can come off the bench and eat some minutes in the regular season. No problem. Last one, Derek Rose to the Grizzlies. I have no real... uh, I think Derek Rose looked very good in the minutes that he played for the Bulls last year. Uh, I'll be interested to see the structure of this deal. I mean, like, he looked like a minimum guy to me last year uh shot 38 percent from the field 30 percent from three uh you know maybe there's like some sort of idea here where the goal is to vent uh like veteran mentor john morant with somebody like derrick rose I i don't know yeah this is this is the prime like hey kid i've been around the block i've dealt with adversity before here's what you need to do kind of veteran signing in his ear, which if that keeps the Grizzlies on the the pathway that they're on, I'm all for it in that regard. Um, no, no issue with that. I just, I don't think this is about the on-court signing. Yeah. Uh, Joe Ingles is a great vibes guy. I'm not going to read the second piece of that. Uh, <laughs> good upgrade off of that alone. Yeah. Look, you're yeah. never going to hear me say a bad word about Joe Ingles. I, I love the guy. I want him to be successful and I'm so happy that, Mark Bernstein just got him an immense last payday. Uh, that is that something, that deal. Yep. Uh, and, I love, and, and, uh, look, Orlando needs vets. So uh, it's, a, it's a big amount of money to spend on a vet, but Orlando needed vets. And, and I say it all the time, Sam, it's the most overlooked step for these young teams that have a lot of young talent. Like you need professionals to show them the ropes and how it's done and keep everybody bought in. Because for the first time, a lot of these guys who were five stars in high school and really great college players are seeing their roles diminish. A great veteran presence who can keep their head screwed on straight, show them how to handle that, is exactly what a lot of these younger teams need. So, again, off court, no issue with that. Just wonder if it costs $11 million a year in order to make that happen. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think here. We don't know if we've got any else Miami yeah two two nice veteran uh, minimum reports coming out about keeping Kevin Love and then signing Josh Richardson yep I like them both Kevin Love was great for them last year yeah yeah he was uh, really valuable in the playoffs I thought super helpful um, let's see here any other moves that have heard since we've been talking I don't think so well there's one that we missed a little earlier uh, for the spurs they weren't able to get the real penny which is matt penny but they got the sham penny in julian Champenny, four years 12 million <laughs> it's cool yeah like it, it, it's a cool deal for him uh performed well at the end of the season sam is ready to just kick me out of this stream i get it we've but- been talking for two hours at this point, and you go full, full Adam Spinella. Yeah. Oh my god. 
Yeah, there's no oh, there's nice. no off button on this jackass, I know. No, I love it. I absolutely love it. This is the best. Um Yeah. Uh, if you guys have any other questions, we'll take ten minutes here and answer. We're not gonna get to two hours. But if you guys wanna ask any questions here, uh Krabby asked any news about Austin Reeves. No, we talked about Austin Reeves earlier in the show though. Uh that's kinda where I'm at. Um, let's see here. Uh, yeah. So putting up a comment calling Jonathan Isaac a nutcase, presumably because of his opinions, half the country holds and not calling guy out for it. Yeah. I don't think Jonathan Isaac's nutcase. That's fine. Um, Jonathan Isaac holds opinions. I don't agree with Jonathan Isaac's opinions, but what he seems like a God fearing person. I don't really have a problem with John Isaac. Um, it's whatever. Like I said, I don't agree with his opinions, but it's fine. doesn't seem, as far as I know, Jonathan Isaac has not done anything that's hurt anybody. Um, any chance the Kings signed the plum dog to back up to Monis Sabonis? Um, maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe. Makes sense to do that. I would imagine that they probably are going Trey Lyles, probably. Right? Like, they're probably just going to rock Trey Lyles as the backup center. Yeah, I think they probably need one more body. They've lost Holmes. They lost Metu. Like uh, an additional big man body makes sense. I don't know if Plumlee's the guy, but they they need another true five man on the roster. Yep. Uh, do you see PJ Washington staying in Charlotte? Let's talk really quickly about Charlotte here before they actually make their choices. So Charlotte is both PJ Washington and Miles Bridges. The bottom is quickly. Like the money is drying up, I guess, for restricted free agents is what I would say. There was an interesting report in something that Jake Fisher wrote earlier that Miles Bridges, like it's not going to be just like a simple process for like there. I think that everybody thought it was just going to get done and like it was going to happen. It felt like to me, like, you know, Rich Paul and those guys at Clutch were like trying to reclaim some leverage in some way to try and get him paid more. Miles Bridges is not somebody that seemingly has, you know, a lot of leverage to go elsewhere, I would venture, because there are probably quite a few teams that just wouldn't sign him. Look, if, if you want to play that game, like if I'm Charlotte, I'm, I don't know, like I wouldn't keep miles bridges after what happened with miles bridges so you know you plead no contest to like domestic family assault charges and uh, i'm out at that point so i don't know pj washington i would keep pj if i was charlotte yeah i would keep pj i love i absolutely love pj i think that he is the right like four man who can play the small ball five in a pinch good defender good decision maker I have no issues with PJ Washington whatsoever. It's just Charlotte's got to figure out what direction they're going to go with bridges, how protected they're going to be in that type of situation. And if they're willing to stomach continuing to, to keep him on the roster uh, after all that went down. Um, how do you feel about Avita Zubats for a trade target for the Pelicans? I'd probably just extend Jonas Valanciunas instead if I was going to go that route and not give up the extra assets to do so retweet. Yep. Um, 
does the spending of money hurt PJ Washington or Grant Williams options? We can throw in all Reeves, Miles Bridges, everything like that. Yes. Um, I think that we need to figure out a way to make restricted free agency easier for restricted free agents. Um, this deal where essentially restricted free agents are held hostage for six days by the moratorium, I think is frankly bullshit. And we need to do, we need to find a better way to do this uh, for restricted free agents. And I know we just signed a collective bargaining agreement. Maybe there can be some sort of amendment to it. We need to find a way to make it a little bit easier. I think it's absurd. I'm with you. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough for those guys right now. Uh, I think it probably leads it, more so for PJ than Grant to a return to where he was at. I think for Grant, it just might mean a different type of contract. Yep. Uh, are we seeing the effect of the new CBA on restricted free agency? Doesn't seem like teams want to tie up cap on an offer. 100% what we're saying. Absolutely right. I think that is the significant thing that is happening here. Um, yeah. Like you can't tie up your space for six days. We need to see a change in that regard moving forward. Uh, It it should be like the moratorium not exist for restricted free agents or something along those lines. Make it that way. Uh, I think it'll lead to some bargains. I don't know. Like if Austin Reeves ends up just taking like a Lakers deal for 452 or 454, whatever the number is, like absolutely third that's a ridiculous bargain and that would be one so yeah um <laughs> i'd love to see the spurs try to steal matisse thibel from the blazers and see him and Wemby be the most de- destructive defensive duo in the league for 20 minutes a game fun i, I would like to just surround Wemby with more shooting and everything let him anchor the defense the idea sounds enjoyable in theory, sure. Like, I'm <laughs> here for it. Like, again, though, he's a restricted free agent, so they're not going to tie up their space. Like, I, if I'm them, if I'm not tying up my space for Austin Reeves, I'm not tying it up for Matisse Thibel. Yeah, so. it, it, that makes more sense for Thibel than it does for Wembenyama because of the floor spacing that you mentioned. But, like, having a rim protector behind you like Vic is unreal for the ultimate gambler, Matisse Thibel. Like, that guy just wants to go in, in passing lanes whenever he can. Uh, worst signing so far? Depending on the actual fifth year and how it looks, Jeremy Grant, if there are some team protections in that regard, it's hard to say Ingles because it's, like, long-term, not that consequential. It's a one-year of, deal. Of a deal. Yeah. yeah. Um like there haven't been too many poor. I think Cam Johnson was a little bit of an overpay. I will say that, and I am always constantly worried about Kyrie Irving. But as we mentioned earlier, like you have to re-sign him once you made that commitment to trade for him. Yeah, the, the Jeremy Grant deal for me just is so much money for, and I like Jeremy Grant, but it's just a lot of money and a lot of commitment tied up long term to Jeremy Grant. Yeah. Oh, um, anything up with Jalen Brown's contract not being announced yet? I wouldn't read too much into it. it you know, I, 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 this does not come from inside information. I think he will actually sign the Supermax. Love it. 
from Christopher. Brooke Lopez prediction. Milwaukee. Probably like you were talking about, a little bit overpay on an annual salary, probably two years, maybe two plus one. Uh, but they got to keep the band back together and getting Middleton a little bit cheaper gives them more runway to do so. Yep. Uh, I would imagine Milwaukee as well. And you do, yeah, like a two year, you know, 50 to $60 million deal. I would bet. Like, I would imagine that one thing that did happen for Brooke Lopez, I would imagine was seeing all of these other centers go off of the market before he did. Jakob Pertl, Nikola Vucevic, worst players getting paid $20 million a year and him saying, I want more money, um, which I think is a reasonable thing for him. Yeah. Okay. That was 10 minutes of questions, Adam. Uh, you know, last thing here, maybe Christopher Gale, what moves can Golden State make to get better? There were rumors early on in the day that they would sign Dario Saric. Uh, did that happen? I didn't see that officially come through, but I saw the rumors. I mean, it's an upgrade on Anthony Lamb. So that works. Um, yeah, like, you know, it seems like Dante DiVincenzo may not, may not return. Finding a, Find another guard like Dante find you know a wing that can defend at some level i think maybe they're hoping pajemski can be the dante guard but it's probably a lot to ask in his rookie year yeah i want to find another dante type guard um just continuing to find bargains on the market at the end of the day yeah that sounds about right and and you know i I wonder if the window has closed on maybe trying to cash out on kaminga that if there's the right situation to move him that his contract is large enough you could get some veteran type of wings back in return not saying i recommend that but i think that is a tool at their disposal last thing i'll close on here is you know just thinking about the monte morris deal while while we were recording while this happened wouldn't you rather do that if you're Toronto give up second round pick for Monte Morris. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Then Schroeder. Yeah. Wonder if they could have done, I mean, theoretically, like you maybe try and do a, you know, if you do the Fred Van Vliet, like trade exception deal, you can put Monte Morris into the trade exception kind of thing. I don't know if they have a like $10 million trade exception already. Maybe they did or didn't. I'm not totally sure there. Um, DeLon Wright would be fun there too. Like maybe the window's not closed. No. Yeah. Hmm. I think I would prefer to, I think I would have preferred that outcome for Toronto. I mean, just a similar Fred Van Vliet type player for your offense. Not as good of a pull up scorer though. I love Monte Morris. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Adam, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, not much is going on. I'm going on vacation for like a week and a half, two weeks here, but uh, find me at the box and one underscore on Twitter, YouTube, my name, Adam Spinella or my Substack page, the box and one dot Substack.com. Sam, thanks for having me on. This was a blast of a two hour show. It was super fun. Free agency is fun every year. I'll probably be back tomorrow. Look, as long as deals happen, I will be back tomorrow. My plan is to, you know, have a buildup of deals 
and then talk about them. That's about all I know at this point. As soon as the deals happen, I will come back on. When we have like an hour to talk about, I will come back. Um, I'll probably make someone like Schlecht or James Edwards or someone at the athletic come on with me and talk about basketball. So <clears throat> keep it locked here. We will be back potentially tomorrow, maybe the next day. Regardless, until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you.